0: Welcome to episode 25 of The Hilo, the weekly news and pop culture podcast
1: brought to you by journalists Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton. And a very special guest this week. Guess who's back, back again. Davy's back, tell a friend. Anyone who listened... (laughs) To Pandoli, which was sort of our maiden name of this uh, podcast. It was our tri- a, a sort of our trial podcast before yes. the meat of the Hilo. But we did it for about six months, and our producer was a little man called David Maguire. Little. I didn't mean little man, I don't know why I said that. What have you been up to, Dave? Grown a beard. He's grown a beard, he's got married. What else has happened? He's turned into a man. <laughs> Last time uh, Dave was recording with us, it was the Pandoli Christmas special, of which we're going to insert a clip now. You'll probably be able to hear that between us, we drank about five bottles of Prosecco. Thank you so much to Dave. Say hi, Dave. Hello. We couldn't have done it without Dave. We're not going to get emotional. We do love... I feel emotional about it, though, Dave. No, but we couldn't have done it without Dave. You've been the backbone of this whole thing. We couldn't have done it without the Sunday Times, River
0: Island and Dave. The ultimate triumvirate. It's
1: been a pleasure and an honour. Who's your favourite out of the two of us? Oh, Oh, Dolly. i
0: am just Compilation. (laughs) Compilation, Dave. Cue the compilation. Thank you for everyone that listened to my (laughs) Dolly. Over and out. We will miss you.
1: Anyway, it's lovely to have you back, Dave. I'm sure Charlie's listening, very concerned that he's been replaced. <laughs> Just for anyone who wonders, DJ CJ is cheating on us with another podcast gardening. for a little bit. Um, Is it a gardening he's podcast? He's always cheating on us with gardening podcasts and he brings in these award-winning carrots. Yeah. He brought the cucumber ones. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really creepy.
0: <laughs> anyway, so yeah, you've got a little bit of Dave. He'll be dipping in and out of the high-low. So Pandora, jet setter, tell us where you've been. <laughs> i like about 65. I got back from New York last night. I was there for New York
1: Fashion Week. I ate like a queen. But my God, New York is expensive for food. Can I just say, can I ask one thing that made me yeah. laugh so much? You put an Instagram post up of a skirt that had fanned out on a bench behind you. Oh, yeah. I mean, just
0: the most unflattering picture ever. There's not even any food in that picture.
1: I was so obsessed with this picture, but you also wrote a really funny caption. What did you say? Something about my arse eating the bench.
0: Because <laughs> it literally, I know, it really does extend. So I ate all the food. Where did you eat? Uh, I went to Freeman's, your favourite, and Half had the artichoke the dip, but you didn't tell me it's literally like a cheese souffle it's with an entire cheese. loaf of bread. It's cheese with artichoke dip. Uh, I went to the Waverley Inn, which I love. It's quite a trendy spot, Waverley Inn, but it's just actually really nice and low-key and had... Amazing food. I can't remember what I ate, but I remember I really, really liked it. Uh, where else did I go? Went to Cafe Clover, my fave. Oh, never been Went to there. The Butcher's Daughter. Love it there. Did love it the first time. Had some really odd bean bacon. It's vegan, so everything is not as it oh. seems. Had some really odd bean bacon. Also, in America, the avocado toast, um, any Americans listening, please take note, they, they don't toast the toast properly and the avocados aren't cold. Oh, so it's no. quite bready and warm. Ooh, I don't um, like that. But I was honestly spending about thirty to forty dollars on every meal. It's insane. It's expensive. expensive. To and eat whenever in New you York. say, "God, it's expensive," everyone's like, "What?" You know, you're from yeah, London, no, no, and you like, mad. "But food does not cost this." I yeah. spent ten dollars on a smoothie.
1: Yeah, everything's more expensive in New York. I remember I posted when I was doing my awful dreaded And you forget about fucking tax. I know.
0: Add it on afterwards. I forgot about room tax I when know. I booked the
1: hotel. Yeah. And Sorry, the bloody on. fifty quid tips you have to give the waitresses. No, that's Yeah, twenty percent. Um, but the I remember when I was doing my dreaded flat hunt, which was a white knuckle emotional ride, if you remember, yeah, I was just I do ringing you it. and crying all the time. And I found a flat that was the size, it looked like a kind of dungeon and it was the size probably of this, of the Acast's lovely studio. And I put it on Twitter and I said, this is this is a flat in London that costs £1,200 a month to rent. And Corinne Fisher, who's a New Yorker, who hosts Guys We Fucked, replied saying, honestly, I think that's really cheap. I think that's a real bargain. Yeah, I mean, it's meant forget ment- how much more expensive it is, it is in New mental-
0: York. For example, I was talking to a friend who has health insurance, because obviously they don't have an NHS there. They have the soon-to-be-dismantled Obamacare, mm. and she pays $1,200 in healthcare a month. Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, there are perks to living in London. But no, I did love being there, and I walked absolutely everywhere. Um, I reached my Compede record. <gasps> How many? Entire packet on two feet.
1: Oh, Compede. Sorry. I thought you meant, like, the Steps record. <laughs> I did think you were fucking excited. I thought you were saying that's your own personal measuring system. <laughs> no, my record, I d- Ollie and I walked for,
0: so I took most of Saturday off from the shows to spend with Ollie and we walked for six miles that day. Oh, that's great. How many steps is that? I don't know. I don't look at my step on Because I always I find
1: my step on is always highest when I'm in New York. Yeah, I walk a lot more.
0: Actually, I walk quite a lot in London as well. But mm. I walk a lot when I go to other cities. Same with Paris, I mm. always walk a lot. Um How did you have fun? Yeah, it was good. I, I was really lucky that Ollie was also working there. So I think if I could take him on every work trip, the anxiety levels
1: would just be Aww. so diminished. It's so nice knowing. Can I take him on my work trips? You can absolutely take him on your work trips. We've already discussed. Your husband and I have already been WhatsApping about how we want to take a holiday together. Well, he calls it a dollar day. <laughs> Only because I said on the podcast <laughs> that I like going on holidays and doing nothing. And he got really excited. He got really excited. He's like, when people are like, let's go see some ruins. And I'm like, nah, bruv, let
0: <laughs> I know. Let's just he beach. screenshots me your <laughs> chats.
1: So I know what's going on.
0: <laughs> and I finished The Girlfriend Experience, mm. which we talked about on the last episode of The High Low. It stars Riley Keel, and it is about... Escorting a, a law student, how far
1: did you get? Have you got? Through I only got one ep in, but oh my god, a, it gets really. A listener emailed us to say, "Do stick with it because it's different to Secret Diary of a Cool Girl in that it really does show completely the kind of mu- the much darker, raw realities of." of so this I stuff. said
0: in the last episode that I hadn't really seen much of an emotional arc formed, yeah. for better word with the protagonist played by Riley, and oh my god, I literally could hardly watch those last few episodes there is i think it's episode 9 of 13 where essentially a jealous ex-client emails a tape of them having sex from her email address to her whole law firm and she goes into shock and she refuses to leave so everyone's going do you want to go home can you go home she's going no why would i go home and you watch her kind of breaking down but it's it's brilliantly active breaking down but whilst um this glacial edifice from the outside and eventually she has this panic attack and i was sobbing i mean i sob quite a lot when i watch stuff at the moment um but i was sobbing watching this episode i don't think i've ever watched or recently watched such an account i mean it was proper john ronson public shaming and it was it was utterly agonizing to watch i will lend you my login um and watch the rest they're only about 26 minutes long each one but yeah my god it was really really affecting and something else that was really affecting which I've actually bought with me for you doll is a piece in The New Yorker on a Muslim cop in the NYPD called Bobby Hadid who lost his job due to suspicion um mm-hmm. over Muslim policemen essentially mm. um there's a lot of there was a lot of investigation going on and it was it's a really I mean the great thing about the New Yorker is like it's such you know, it's sort of a 10,000 or 15,000 word long read. So you really get into the heart of the story. And it traces him from being an immigrant in New York, joining the NYPD in the aftermath of 9-11, like a lot of Muslim policemen who wanted to fight, you know, the discordant part of their religion that they were so against. Mm. And it follows this kind of rapid ascendance that he made in the NYPD and then plummet due to suspicion. OK, so I'll just read you a little excerpt. In the years after the World Trade Centre attacks, Muslim officers found themselves promoted to prestigious units because of their linguistic and cultural knowledge. A 2005 article in the Wall Street Journal announced that the NYPD was reaching out to immigrants who want to take Islam back from terrorist groups. But their newly elevated status could also make them look like interlopers. In a 2008 lawsuit, a Muslim Egyptian officer in the Intelligence Division cyber unit complained that his colleagues told him that Muslims had no place in law enforcement. A Muslim officer from Pakistan who worked in the demographics unit in 2005 told me that after he expressed doubts about the purpose of eavesdropping on mundane conversations between Muslims, he was transferred. And it just goes on and on. And it's a, it's just a really brilliant piece. Mm. Um, so I've got that for you. And I've also ripped out for few, which you'll probably be less interested to read, but uh, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Okay. A um, pop culture profile on Paris Hilton in Marie Claire. Um, And the cover line on on the magazine was, whatever happened to Paris Hilton? So I was like, okay, I'll buy that. (laughs) And it's really, really interesting. She's sort of, you know, not talked about anymore in the same breath as Kim Kardashian. But she's got 25 fragrances, which bring in $3 billion globally. And she's the highest paid female DJ in the world and she travels who's buying those fragrances I I mean I actually don't know but she she's got two hotels she just opened her second in the Philippines she travels for 250 days a year it's a really interesting pop culture profile and I was actually really pleasantly surprised because I bought $50 worth um, of magazines in the airport yesterday and I'm often not wildly impressed by American magazines aside Mm. from New York magazine and the New Yorker Mm -hmm. and I was really I got like a really good bunch of um Glossies. So I've written that out for you as well. I think she has got this self awareness that is becoming more apparent. You'll love reading this. She talks all about the cultivation of that baby voice and then how yeah. she shed that baby voice. She's
1: now got a much huskier voice from smoking and she says she like much prefers it. Yeah. She said she tweeted the other day and I retweeted it. She was like, In my house, I have a portrait of myself made up of hundreds of thousands of tiny pictures of me.
0: Yes, it's amazing. (laughs) I saw that retweeted. And I also read, I tried to talk about it on last week's podcast, but we had to cut it out because I got the entire title (laughs) wrong. I read a book by Lindsay Lee Johnson called The Most Dangerous Place on Earth, which is a really like brilliantly written buildings roman, essentially, which is a book that follows a character or characters growing up. And it's set in a high school. And if you like any kind of teen or YA fiction but written you know really beautifully it's an absolutely brilliant book so that's everything I've been up to and I'm really excited to begin the second
1: series of Doctor Foster as well oh
0: everyone's talking about it. everyone's that. talking about it except Dolly. Dolly I bet you won't
1: watch that do you know I haven't even I've lived in my flat now for over two months I haven't even plugged my TV in you can watch it online though you don't need a TV I know I just like it. showing off about that <laughs> I've been too busy reading books. No, I haven't, actually. definitely Um, haven't. (laughs) Um, What about you? Give me an update, oh, God, on your storage issue. Um, So thank you so much to all the listeners who tweeted in some advice on my storage issue. Thank you for not tweeting me as requested about Dolly's storage issue. Fixed it in one fell swoop. Someone said what you should do is you should delete your mail, your inbox application, and then reload it. Because what happens is... Over the years, all the attachments that you have save onto your phone. Oh. But there's no place that shows. Do you know it's what? That's quite a handy it. hint for it's our such listeners. A handy hint. Because then it like resets it when you re-download your mail. And now I've got all this space. Great job well done. I've got the Sonos. I've got the eBay. <laughs> I've got the Uber. We're all very the excited. Uber. So I've just been reading some really good journalism this week. Uh, the first piece I wanted to flag up is one that the Spe- it was on the Spectator blog that Fraser Nelson
0: yes! tweeted. Did you read it? No, I haven't yet. I've bookmarked it. I've got loads of things to read now I'm back. I've bookmarked it to read.
1: It's lovely. So the Spectator have, and I really applaud them for mm. this, they have to avoid kind of the nepotistic structure of journalism, I mean, I can't believe the spectator of all places are the ones that are spearheading this. But they've decided with their internships that there's a no-CV policy. So it means that the people who are most deserving are the people who get these kind of first foot in the doors. And what they didn't realise is that a woman who applied was a 42-year-old, I think, mother of three. I think she was 48. Oh, was she? Yeah, I think 48-year-old mother of yeah. three. It's a first-person piece that she wrote about why she re-entered the workplace, why she kind of started again in a new field, what it was like to re-enter after a period of, of being a mother at home. And it's just a really uplifting read and it really proposes a lot of questions and thoughts about as we move forward and the retirement age will get higher and higher and perhaps even dissolve at some point in the future and how humans live longer, how we deal with... People's, the longevity of people's working life and how we deal with people's age in the workplace.
0: It's all kind of feeding towards this idea that we need to have more of a pro-ageing attitude yeah, in society. Exactly. Because we just haven't evolved culturally to catch up with the fact that people are living much longer and therefore yeah. they're working yeah. much longer.
1: And I did this piece in The Sunday Times Style a couple of weeks ago where I interviewed these two women who run a mad- magazine mm. called Advantages of Age which is about age age positivity. And something that they said is there will be, I can't remember the stat offhand, but they said in the future there will be a period in the not so dis- distant future where there will be more elderly people than there will be children. And she said, what we're not addressing is what are these people gonna do? What mm. are they gonna do? What are they gonna think? What are they going to, what are their communities gonna be? How are they gonna spend their time? How do we make use of them? So yeah, it was, just, it was just a really uplifting piece and I just really applaud the spectator for putting a structure in place that means a woman like this who would definitely have been overseen, I think, mm-hmm. can thrive. Great, we'll tweet that out and we'll put that in the bio notes to this episode. I'm sorry about my RC tweet, by the way. Did you see that?
0: I know it drives you mad when people say, where can we find that thing you mentioned? Just to reiterate, if you follow The Hilo Show, at The Hilo Show on Twitter, I, every single week... Write out a list of what we're reading, what we're watching, and they all go in the episode notes on the bio to this. So if you're listening through Acast or SoundCloud or iTunes, just click to see the synopsis of the episode and all the links are in there. It's not hard, lads. And, and if you do email and ask, the chances are we're not going to reply with that specific link because that's a full-time I do job.
1: actually reply. Do you? I do, yeah. Okay, with well a passive-aggressive done. one kiss. And if you're nice to me, you get two. I've also read this really really brilliant and useful piece by a journalist called Hannah Ewens, I think is how you say her surname um, who's a very good vice journalist and it's it's quite a hefty read and it's about everything you might want to know about therapy before you start therapy or while you're in therapy as she's someone who's been in therapy for 10 years and it's kind of um, it's very honest it's a list of all the things that you might not expect, both practical, emotional, how it will affect you internally, how it will affect... Did you find yourself agreeing with it? Yeah, it was the most... I've been in therapy for a year and a half, and it was the most accurate description of what... Obviously, she says in it, this is not going to be everyone's experience, and she doesn't claim to know specifics about certain mental health issues and you know certain specific problems being solved in certain certain types of therapy but in terms of going to speak to a professional every week and what that relationship is and how it will affect your relationships out in the Mm -hmm. real world Mm -hmm. and your relationship with yourself I found it unbelievably accurate, useful, honest and brilliant and cool I'll read that yeah because and also you know it can be a very expensive very overwhelming sometimes if you're doing it on the nhs very difficult thing to start in the first place mm. so i think it's it will be useful for anyone considering it or indeed anyone who's in it now i also read a piece in the sunday times magazine god it was such a good magazine this week with nigella lawson i've
0: got that um, i think oh hello there she is there she <laughs> is does All she the- talk about charles sachi Uh, No, she doesn't. It's all about her new book. I mean, look at that. I want to know. I know she's phenomenal looking. I think she's one of the greatest
1: beauties. I hope she'd
0: be on, like, I hope she'd talk about that because I I still think it's this really riveting. I know.
1: No, she doesn't. It's just about her new book. But, you know, you forget with Nigella Lawson that. She hammers home over and over again in this piece. She's like, "I'm not a chef. I'm not a chef. I'm just a cook." She's a very brilliant cook, but you forget that she was a Sunday Times yeah journalist. You know, yeah, and she was married. And she
0: was married to John Diamond. Yeah, before.
1: yeah. And she's just and you really it shines through in this piece. What a beautiful writer she is. First and foremost, she's just the most beautiful. Is writer. it a first person piece? It's a first person piece about being a home cook, and then it's got some really good recipes as well. But there's just this one bit that meant so much to me when I read it that I think. Where is it? Here it is. The currency of a recipe always seems such an extraordinary thing to me. Taste is so personal, it's a wonder any two of us can cook the same thing and like it equally. Yet a recipe remains such a happy means of communication. In writing my new book, At My Table, I have reflected long and deep on what the recipe is and what it means. As I've said before, but feel no less intensely now, a recipe is a highly charged autobiographical form. A recipe tells a story is a container of memories. You think that hugely, don't you? I really do. And I just am I just... allowed to give a spoiler alert about recipes Yeah. Being in your book. Yeah, recipes are in my book. And for someone I think for a lot of us, food is the real marker of moments in our life. You know, the day your first date with someone or what you ate after a funeral when you were sad, what you ate on your wedding day. I just think she just captured really beautifully what that means and how it kind of connects to the emotional context. Yeah. Chrissy Teigen is in London, Pandora, as well, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I know, know because I told you to get on her timeline. (laughs) Did you see I tweeted her, saying, if you come on our podcast, I will make you the most delicious pasta, because I know she loves carbs. Are you you really (laughs) loving that she's um, discovering British telly? Yeah, she's just (laughs) sitting in a hotel room with her baby, watching British TV with these unbelievably effusive tweets. I'm just going to read some of them. She wrote... In love with Gogglebox, I don't think I can go to John's show tomorrow. I'll be watching Channel 4. And then she wrote, celebs go dating, celebrity dating agency. I'm never leaving the UK. Uh, There's something called naked attraction on here in London. And what the F is this? It's dating based on genitals. Like, I'm seeing (laughs) peepees. And then she also tweeted going, oh, my God, if I was
0: eliminated first based on my genitals, I don't think I would ever (laughs)
1: get over that. I just had a moment. And then she Instagrammed her and John and their little girl. On, in the kind of rainy square, I think, in Soho, saying, oh, it's our favourite weather. And then she Instagrammed that she was at the Ivy eating shepherd's pie. And I was like, London, do your fucking best to keep Chrissy Teigen here. Show her a good time. I need her to move here with John Legend and then I need to become her best friend. So
0: for anyone who doesn't know who Chrissy Teigen is, she is a very funny woman um, and a model as well who's married to the singer John Legend. And she has built up a real reputation for being just amazing on Twitter. She's very, very funny, particularly when someone says something that insults her. So someone someone tweeted, she had both of her children, a boy and a girl through IVF. They had both of their children, a boy and a girl through IVF. And someone tweeted being like, well, did you try and get pregnant naturally? And she replied being like, hey, Linda, yes, we tried for 10 years, you witch.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's great. And she's also just, she's very honest and she's very, she's just really funny as she's well. She's very funny. I think my favourite tweet she ever did was someone was saying someone said something really mean to like who are you your life must be so depressing and she said i'm on lake como with the love of my life eating pasta i've got a best-selling book and i married rich
0: (laughs) yeah i like the way she she talks a lot about being um about being rich yeah it's very she's very
1: honest as well yeah it's great she's a breath of fresh air and she is my best friend even though she doesn't know it yet (laughs) Support for the high low comes from our sponsor Nars. Nars have partnered with longtime collaborator Christopher Kane on a new collection. The Chrome Couture collection featuring two new products, an iridescent lipstick and prismatic eyeshadow palette inspired by the designer's signature aesthetic. The collection will launch Monday, September the 18th, directly following the Christopher Kane show in London. It will only be available in the NARS Covent Garden Boutique and narscosmetics.co.uk with limited qualities. NARS will be hosting a waiting list online via the link that we'll put in our show notes from the 14th of September. NARS is offering HILO listeners two deluxe travel-size freebies when they make a purchase online at narscosmetics.co.uk. How kind of them. Simply type in the code HILO, H-I-L-O-W, at the checkout and you'll receive a mini Audacious Mascara and mini Velvet Matte Lip Pencil in Dolce Vita. One of their best-selling pinky nude shades. Interesting accent you chose there. I'm going to do that this week because
0: I need to top up on my custard concealer. So I'm going to go online as well to get my Dolce Vita. You have lip to do liner. the voice. I stole it from Dolce Vita. <laughs> I stole it from my friend Emily, and she texted me going, "Hey, you stole my Dolce Vita lip pencil." And I was like, "It's really rather nice." And she did the high-low promo. So oh, I did was she? Like, I was like, "I must go on to the island doing one." This is our last week with NARS. They mm-hmm. have been a brilliant sponsor for the last twelve weeks. And we will continue to be a slave to your cosmetics. So this is the last week that you can enjoy the high-low promo. So get shopping. Thank you, Nas. This is the top line. After being fired by L'Oreal, as discussed in last week's episode, for her comments made on Facebook about white privilege in the aftermath of the Charlottesville tragedy, trans activist and model Munro Bergdorf has been hired by British makeup brand Ilamasqua. Just one in 50, only 2% of the UK's social housing tower blocks has a full sprinkler system, according to a new investigation released on the eve of the public inquiry into the Grenfell fire disaster. A Freedom of Information request also found that 68% of the council and housing association-owned blocks have just one staircase with which to evacuate. Rihanna launched her beauty line Fenty Beauty last week with record-breaking sales. Available exclusively at Harvey Nichols in the UK, it did over £1 million worth of sales in the first week. Particularly popular are the darker shades of foundation, long absent from the cosmetics market due to the mistaken belief that they would not sell. Hurricane Irma evacuees are returning to Florida to find that one quarter of homes in Florida Keys have been destroyed. Nearly 6.9 million homes have been left without power. 18 people sadly died in the storm after the strongest storm in history with winds of 185 miles per hour. In slightly paltry comparison, but nonetheless newsworthy, Storm Aileen has hit the UK with winds of 75 miles per hour, leaving 800 homes in Nottinghamshire without power. Cindy Crawford's daughter, Kaya Gerber, made her catwalk debut at Calvin Klein over New York Fashion Week. The nascent supermodel is only 16 years old, but is set to be the next Kendall Jenner. Australian actor Rebel Wilson has won £2.7 million in Australia's largest ever defamation payout. She claimed that eight articles published by Bauer Magazines, Women's Day and Australian Women's Weekly in 2015 portrayed her as a serial liar and that this resulted in her being sacked from two films. Bauer claimed that the articles were both true and trivial with no lasting damage to her career, but a six-woman jury rejected their arguments. Wow. Jim Carrey has given a bizarre interview at Venice Film Festival where he claims that we do not exist. The actor, a fan of of Transcendental Meditation, said, the fact is you don't exist. You are nothing but ideas. We take those ideas and we cobble them together and we make a personality charm bracelet, which is an ID bracelet that we wear in life. But that's not who we are because we're nothing and it's a fucking relief. The humble wheelie bin may soon be no more with the arrival of an underground system. The modern subterranean refuse system has been trialled in West Cambridgeshire, doing away with 9,000 wheelie bins. You put your rubbish into a steel chute and a sensor notifies the council when it's full to come and pick it up. Underground bins are apparently used extensively across the rest of Europe. The council has warned that these are very, very deep. A floral tribute of Princess Diana in Chesterfield has been mocked online after the pictures were shared on Facebook by the City Council. Google it, please, to see the true monstrosity. The Council said in its defence that it was made by 14 volunteers using the ancient art of well dressing. No, me neither. (laughs) And that all art is meant to be a talking point, anyway. (laughs) And that was the top line.
1: Oh god, poor old Jim Carrey. I feel like I've been Jim Carrey at a party occasionally. What said we don't exist? Just someone mouthing or someone who's. I wouldn't. I to
0: be fair, I wouldn't want to be in a small room or studio with you, drunk, talking about <laughs> transcendental meditation.
1: I think you know when you've had an experience he's obviously felt something or read something that's so poignant to him that you just it's not the right red carpet chat is it
0: he's had a really odd five years though his um ex-girlfriend sadly committed suicide mm. and her family there were a lot of inquiries into that mm. and how his behavior might have impacted mm. her very sad decision to end her life um, i think he's i think he's had a really tough few years mm. and i wonder whether he has looked to alternative meditations yeah. to try and deal with what he's gone through and ultimately it's leaving him now saying some quite odd stuff at the it's Venice. It's just film hard festival. to
1: communicate it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. it's just maybe best sort of on your own time yeah. to investigate that. Um, great news about the bloody wheelie bins. I know, can I, you believe it? Do you have to do wheelie bins? I I wish, I cannot wait until I have wheelie bins. I I just have a normal kitchen bin. So I have mounds of rubbish in my kitchen that the cat likes to get into. Actually, it must
1: be because you're on a high floor. I have
0: to keep them out on the windowsill and then close the window. I just
1: think it's Neanderthal, our bin system in this city. I really do. I really think a chute system is long overdue. I
0: think it's an amazing idea, a subterranean system. It must cost a lot of money, though. Yeah, I'm sure it does. But I would quite like to see my local council spend that on a subterranean refuse system rather than on baskets of flowers on lampposts.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: (laughs) I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
1: A female Silicon Valley CEO has admitted to dyeing her blonde hair brown in hopes that colleagues will take her more seriously. Eileen Carey, who runs a software company called Glassbreakers, explained that she stopped wearing high heels, swapped contact lenses for glasses and started wearing gender neutral clothing in a bid to appeal to investors. She told the BBC the first time I dyed my hair was actually due to advice I was given by a woman in venture capital. She went on to say that by dyeing her hair brown she looked older than she was and it also meant she would not be seen and characterised in a sexual way. What do you make of the story, my fellow blonde? Does it make you despair?
0: This isn't the first time I've heard a story of this ilk, but it's just really nuts. I don't really mm. understand how in 2017 this is still a thing and toning down your looks in order to be taken seriously just seems to be a really old chestnut that is somehow still purveying mm. in some
1: circles. Yeah, I think this story is a great shame. I hate that women still feel they have to trick the world into into somehow taking them seriously, well the corporate world. And that's what all these stories are saying fundamentally. I know a woman who used to put a wedding ring on, she wasn't married in meetings uh, with men because she felt it made her be taken more seriously and she was listened to more attentively. And all these stories say to me is that women still feel that not only do they have to cover up who they are, but they have to pretend they're someone else entirely to have their voice heard have you ever pared down the way you look or altered your appearance so you'd be taken more seriously in the workplace? I just suddenly
0: had a mental image of you catching me out and about in, like, a navy suit and court shoes and, like, a <laughs> butterfly clip bun and you being like, Panda, where are you often? I'm just off to a meeting, call. I'll see you later. <laughs> How old was the woman that wore a... put on a fake wedding ring? Early 30s. God. Mm. No, I haven't ever done that and this is all such an anathema to me. I have never adjusted my appearance based on what I thought would make me appear more qualified at my job. I mean, sure, I make adjustments to my garb based on what the day holds you know the would, context yes. yeah i wouldn't wear a see-through shirt to a job interview and i wouldn't wear like my wackiest fashion garb to a panel event about feminism mm. or my dad's 70th birthday but i truly don't feel pressure from anyone looks wise but myself actually probably comes from within more than anything else so i must be really lucky in that regard what about
1: you um the only time i really consciously made an effort to look like someone else was my um bear with me here very short lived and disastrous venture into stand up comedy and sketch comedy um, in my early 20s. Oh, I wish there's footage of that. Sadly not. And I did meet my ex boyfriend um, there, so if you ever want true revenge on me, then he can give you an account of it. I did an open mic slot one night wearing my normal clothes, and I remember the man who followed me. Who was a Canadian comedian who is the headliner, um, spent the first five minutes of his set just making jokes about the fact he wanted to sleep with me. And I was really embarrassed. And I remember feeling like, how dare you! I just had a really good five minutes and now and I was feeling really powerful, and I can't say anything back to you now. So you kind of have taken that power away from me. Anytime I was on stage after that, I did really consciously change the way that I dress. I would always wear really baggy men's shirts, plimsolls, jeans, I didn't wear any makeup. But now I don't think if I ever went back to comedy and don't worry, I don't have any plans to ever do that in the future. But if it, if I was doing that now, I don't think I would do that. In fact, as I get older, I think I really revel in sinking more into my personal style and allowing that to be a fairly un-malleable thing.
0: Sinking or slinking? I think you Ooh, slink.
1: Slinking, maybe. <laughs> Obviously, I take appropriateness into account and formality, as you said, um, but I never really change how I look or what I'm wearing in order to be taken more seriously at work. But then again, I think that's probably speaking from a place, both of us, of unusual freedom as we both work in creative, fairly relaxed, fairly open-minded industries. And normally, most most meetings I have are with women. I actually walked from my flat the other day to a voiceover record in Soho wearing um my pyjamas and no one batted an eyelid when I turned up that's because your
0: pyjamas are striped leggings from Gap (laughs) and a glossier sweatshirt (laughs) and they can absolutely masquerade as normal if albeit sloppy daytime (laughs) attire I agree I'm also extraordinarily lucky to work in a field where no one is ever going to make me feel like I have to tone it down. In fact, quite the opposite. I actually sometimes feel this pressure by dint of being primarily a fashion journalist that I that I have to look a certain way. You know, I'll oh, go yeah. places and someone go, oh, what are you wearing? Um, and sometimes I yearn actually not to have that pressure. But that's a very different pressure and it's not one with the same gravitas. It's certainly not me feeling like people are not going to take me seriously. Mm. Although, out of, you know, a job situation... I have felt that. I have been at, um, in fact, I was at a spectator party and all of the much older male journalists just switched off instantly when someone said I wrote about fashion. So I still feel misogyny in different ways Mm. to to the
1: CEO Mm. of, of this story. What annoys me most about this story, I think, is the gendered double standard we have when it comes to looks. Or style, personal style in the workplace. We sort of touched on this a few episodes ago when we talked about um, President Macron's makeup habit at so the weird. French taxpayers' I've expense. heard that it's
0: more than we said as well. Oh, really? Yeah,
1: I think Eva Wiseman tweeted and it was a higher figure than we had anyway. So we report, the report that I read was that he's he spent 26,000 euros on makeup since May. And, and I remember in the wake of that story, There was some criticism, but mainly people just found it hilarious for a couple of days. And then again, sorry to go back to the bloody leather trousers, but Theresa May buys one pair of 900 quid leather trousers with her own money nearly a year ago and people are still talking about them as if they unlocked her true colours of being a bad leader and maybe even a bad person. Men in the workplace are allowed to be a great many things and they're lauded as renaissance men. They can be CEOs and fathers, CEOs and playboys, they can be CEOs and look absolutely gorgeous. And actually all these other sides to who they are just make them even more interesting to us. Whereas women are allowed to be one thing when they're a CEO and that's a CEO. And they have to prove they're serious. They have to prove they want it enough. They have to prove they're deserving. They have to not let anything else distract from the fact that they're a cardboard cutout CEO. And it must be incredibly tiring having to hide or apologize for parts of who you are in order to be taken seriously and given space.
0: So I agree with that to an extent. Definitely, the idea that women are appraised on their looks and that they have to sort of shape shift and hide certain parts in order to be taken seriously. But I think I I think I disagree with this woman actually because I was just thinking in my head. I was running through CEOs when you were saying that, mm. and I was thinking of the CEO of Into the Gloss and Glossier, Emily Weiss. Gorgeous, stylish, absolutely never seems to dim down who she is. I was thinking of the CEO of Bumble, who was one of the co-founders of Tinder, Whitney Wolf. Again, blonde, glamorous, doesn't seem to be. I was thinking of Cheryl Sandberg from Facebook, I was thinking of Carmen Busquet, I can't ever pronounce her surname, but she's a venture capitalist who invested in Netta Porter, amongst other things, and she's hugely revered in the tech industry. Um, Natalie Massonet, who was at Netta Porter. Again, these are largely fashion beauty, but there's, you know, there's some tech in there. And I read an article on Slate.com last year that I found very interesting. It said even though 5% of the US population have blonde hair, 35% of female US senators and 48% of female CEOs are blonde. So they're not all dyeing their hair (laughs)
1: brown, which I'm I'm pleased to see. Um, I also want to make it clear that although I despair for this woman... And I do worry that by her giving this interview, she might be making this sort of altering of appearance for corporate approval commonplace. Mm. I also understand this is her daily reality and it is powerful for her to tell the truth. And I get why she does it in the first place. The Independent this week, off the back of this story, pointed out that only just last year, a survey found that 60% of women working in tech had experienced unwanted sexual advances. And even more recent research shows one in four women are cautioned about their appearance in the workplace Jesus. Compared to a paltry 9% of men. And one of the things they're often warned about is either wearing too much makeup or wearing a skirt that's too short, as it might be a distraction. So, this sort of misogynistic culture is coming from the top down and it is really deeply systemically embedded in these industries, which means you have to really fight against a very strong current, I imagine, every time you get ready for work in the morning. So, I do understand why one day you might just take off the makeup, dye your hair and dress like a different person as a means to an end just to be able to get on with your job. Well, that's a good point. And let's not forget that Whitney Wolf, the CEO of Bumble,
0: sued her fellow co-founder of Tinder, Justin Mateen, who happened to be her ex-boyfriend, for sexual mm. harassment. Mm. So here's to getting on with your job, whether you feel like wearing gap leggings one day <laughs> or four sparkly enamel bracelets the next. Very nice. <laughs> The high-low is sponsored by Sainsbury's Home. Sainsbury's Home prides itself on delivering great quality design-led products at very nice prices, aka high quality design at high street prices. Sainsbury's Home has a dedicated in-house design team of 14 and 80% of Sainsbury's Home product is designed by the in-house creative team. For autumn, The Sainsbury's Home team have taken inspiration from the great British countryside, from the interiors of inner city boutique hotels and cocktail lounges. Authentic design is at the heart of how the 14 in-house designers create their exclusive prints and palettes, and this season each trend has a signature fragrance blended exclusively for Sainsbury's Home to evoke all the warmth and comfort and spice of winter. So the ranges available this September are Nordic Skies, inspired by the Nordic scenery and lifestyle. This muted tone theme exudes contemporary style, embossed textures and soft accenting of colours in materials such as wood, mercury, glass and grey faux fur. Renaissance boutique indulge in the glamour and grandeur of the 1920s with stylish home accessories, geometric patterns and opulent skilled craftsmanship. Then you have Woodland Walk which captures the tones and textures of an autumnal country walk creating cosy living space with warm aubergine and mulch Colours used across chunky knits and pattern textiles. The Sainsbury's in house design team have created a unique narrative of a woodland scene with hair figures in rich brass metallic finish and an exclusive fragrance of applewood and clove. Enjoy all of those, there is something for everyone. Thank you very much to Sainsbury's Home. Kate Winslet has come under fire for comments she made in an interview with The Independent about her upcoming role in a film directed by Woody Allen called Wonder Wheel. In the interview when the journalist asks if the allegations of child molestation against Woody Allen made her think she said of course one thinks about it but at the same time I don't know Woody and I don't know anything about the family. As the actor in the film you just have to step away and say I don't know anything really and I don't know whether any of it's true or false. Having thought it all through you put it to one inside and you just work with the person woody allen is an incredible director so is roman polanski i had an extraordinary working experience with both of these men and that's the truth So for anyone unaware of the specifics of those allegations, in 1992, Woody Allen was accused of sexual abuse by his seven-year-old adopted daughter, Dylan Farrow, but no charges were brought against him. Roman Polanski pleaded guilty to statutory rape in 1978 when 13-year-old Samantha Geimer accused him of drugging her and sexually assaulting her. So what do you make of Kate's comments, Dolly? Do you think she was wrong to speak so
1: ambiguously about this? Yes, I do. But then again, I understand why she did, because what's she going to say about her director, that she believes he is a child molester? Then the question is, why is she working with him in the first place? Well, that is the question. Yeah, so really the criticism isn't that she she wouldn't answer questions about the allegations with any true conviction or clarity, but rather that she's an actor who's willing to put it to one side to work with a person... So I really disagree
0: with that, morally speaking. So, you know, oh, you just put it to one side and you work with the person. Do you? Why? But then I was thinking, we think that you have a lot of luxury of choice as as a Hollywood actress. And of course, Kate Winslet does have the luxury of choice. But if you sort of translate that into another working environment, say me or you was working at a company and the CEO was known to be... A creepy prick. Mm. Would you necessarily leave the company based? So, for example, if you worked at Uber and the now fired Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, was known to be a real creep, I know people who work at Uber. I wouldn't expect them to have quit just because the CEO was a creep. So that. Yeah. So I. I did. I initially thought. Well, you don't put it to one side, Kate.
1: Mm. What on earth are you talking about? Anyway, what do you think? Well, I think the problem is Woody Allen to a great many people, is one of the most talented and greatest artists of our time. He's Mm. revered. Some of his work is spectacularly seminal. It's influenced a great many other great auteurs. He he famously has this very strange casting method with actors, which means you really... I think she probably would have felt like she'd really been chosen by a deity. And when you're chosen for one of his characters, I'm sure for many actors, it feels like a real string to their bow. So no one wants to be the one who is the person who stops that force or somehow quashes the larger symbolism of what this man is and what his work means. But then who does? Who does decide whether we should be celebrating and giving more money and more power and more cultural significance to someone who's been accused of child molestation? And what message does it send out into the world when... Some of the most respected people in the film industry are saying, "Yeah, well, he might have done this really terrible thing, but he's just so good, and he's so funny, and he's so clever, and he's Woody Allen. We're just going to put that to one side and make another film."
0: It's interesting how many people still engage with him because, of course, it's not just Kate Winslet; no, it's people it's a like great Emma many Stone, people. yeah, um, who I really respect in many ways. I think, though, you know, essentially, he's not a deity. You haven't been chosen by a deity when you're in a Woody no, Allen film. Exactly, he's a human, and I find the whole artists get out of jail free card because they're an artist card. Really problematic, you know, sort of like, oh, they're racist, but they're an artist. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're paedophiles, but they're an artist. And you can go on and on with that and it's fucking pretentious. Just because Roman Polanski and Woody Allen are incredibly renowned directors doesn't mean they can touch underage girls. And if you look again, to translate this into other professions, if there was a tennis player that was known for touching up his physiotherapists or his trainers he would not be mm. in the Grand Slam something you know there would have been something that would have happened for that to have been quashed and I think if you want to work in the films of these men with their dubious moral history fine work in them because shit loads of people still are but don't be wishy-washy mm. speak yeah. up be on their side if you want I just don't think you can have it both ways you can't be a fierce defendant and prot- Opponent of young girls and women a strident feminist
1: and then go all sort of vague and work in these films exactly. i just don't think that's ethically possible i agree daisy buchanan wrote a really good piece on this very subject about where the buck lies i'm just going to read from the last paragraph paragraphs so i think it's it really hits on what we're saying the continuing success of Alan and Polanski is depressing, exhausting proof of a problem we all share. Our society is set up in a way that we will always support men no matter what they've been accused of. Maybe the rest of us should speak up, do more and refuse to work with them, but I'm exhausted. I'm willing to bet Winslet is too. When you've managed to forge a career in one of the most sexist industries there is, it must be hard to muster the energy to keep fighting battles against your employers. We can't expect the abused to take back power from their abusers. We need to point the finger at the investors, studios and money. Men who silently, stealthily endorse this sexist standard with every cheque they write. Well, that's it, isn't it? It always comes down to the bottom dollar. While
0: there are people still making money, crucially for other people, those dudes will be fine. And it's also worth noting that that doesn't mean that I don't understand why they are doing that. You know, Hollywood is a business. Like all industries, it's a business. It's very easy to sit on your moral throne and say, well, well, that's just preposterous. You shouldn't work with these people. We shouldn't do any of this. Stuff. Shut it down immediately. But as you say, Woody Allen and Roman Polanski are revered directors. That If they're attached to a film, they'll probably get funding. You know, they'll have the investor. Things will get greenlit. They'll actors will it's it's so it's but the question is who stops it who stops it well that's the thing as as Daisy Buchanan says mm-hmm. it's the money men the investors in the studios but what I'm saying is I I
1: disagree with but understand why mm. they it are still, still yeah exactly in the past I'll be completely honest I've really struggled to get my head around the Woody Allen thing and I know people a lot of people won't like hearing that but it's it's one of those subjects where when it came up it, you know dinner conversations I would feel really uncomfortable um, because in terms of his films and writing he is one of my greatest inspirations his work really feels embedded in the identity I was carving out for myself when I was very young so as pathetic as it might sound it is a very upsetting and confronting thing when you're told that that person might have done something so awful that no film no short story no interview um, will ever be good enough to override Mm. his actions that those actions will then taint every part of that work that you loved, and perhaps even every part of yourself that you decided you were off the back of that mm. work. I know that sounds pretentious, but that that's true. And I have really considered whether I can still enjoy all his work that I treasured when I was younger, or support any of his current work now, and where I stand on that. And then I listened to a What the Fuck episode with Lena Dunham, and she... She cause she you know feels the same as me about about his earlier work, and then but she obviously like me believes Dylan Farrow, so she and she said this thing of which we're going to embed an extract now that I found very useful.
0: Bad people have done amazing things it's totally true, <laughs> and there's nothing, and that doesn't mean I can acknowledge that. Well, I think one of the reasons that people have been so uncomfortable, people who really believe Woody Allen is guilty have not felt comfortable saying that because they're so afraid to lose their connection to his work. And the thing is, I feel like people need to understand that you can hold two positions in your mind. You can know that someone's made work that's meaningful to you and also know that they have most likely molested their daughter. And I am... That's been an interesting thing. I've probably spoken about this way too much on Twitter just because it's so important to me that victims of sexual abuse speak out about it. But I um, was so unimpressed by people's inability to uh, to like think in less binary ways and to just experience the ambiguity that life is constantly offering up. That's a really excellent way of putting it, actually. It reminds me of a piece that I saw on Twitter that I'm yet to read, but I need to go back and find, by a black journalist. And it was along the lines of how to still love Gone with the Wind, which is largely thought of as racist, as a black feminist. And I think that really chimes with Lena's theory on holding these two positions valuing someone's work that you find very meaningful, but also most likely knowing
1: that they have molested their daughter. Yeah, And the other thing I'd like to point out is that Lena Dunham was talking about, when she says not thinking in binary terms, she's talking in reference to people who consumed his work, not people who worked with him. And I do think you have to be more clear-cut in where you stand on the matter. If you're working with someone, you're in contact with them every day, you're making money with and for them. We're not talking about someone who's trying to work out whether they can still have an Annie Hall poster on their wall and also believe Dylan Farrow. Mm. We're talking about someone who is essentially going into business with him, which is why her answer didn't wash for me.
0: Yeah, agreed. I wrote a piece, I think it was earlier this year... On my website, PandoraSykes.com, about how I feel like celebrities should be more vocal and verbal about their beliefs, whether political, moral, ethical, these days. I think we live in a time, you know, a post-truth world, where um, amongst the fake truths, we need transparency and honesty. I think that's culturally what people really expect Mm. and deserve. Mm. And I think if you're going to continue to operate within that pop culture, media structure, and earn the millions of bucks that you do then you you need to feel some responsibility for that that's why i think there's a lot of backlash at the moment against kendall jenner a lot of um sort of marketing and pr top dogs have been talking about how the tides are really turning for the reality star and model Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is because she is never coming out to explain her actions over anything. She's never just holding her hands up and saying, oh, I made a mistake or this is why she did it. So she never said anything in the aftermath of that Pepsi advert that Mm. obviously got pulled immediately. She never came out and said anything about she did a fist pump emoji. um, And a lot of people were very outraged. I happen to think this is a slightly ott response, but people were outraged that the the color of her fist pump was darker skinned than her own, mm. and they're accused of appropriation. Again, she just didn't say anything. And mm. I think people are bored of people not saying anything. We mm. just don't live in a culture where that goes anymore. So as you say, do it or don't do it, but be prepared to explain your decisions. and I mean, ultimately, Dolly, if you did something that I disagreed with morally and ethically whilst it would be hard to leave these millions. <laughs> Behind the high low makes. I just have to, Dolly. I just have to. I'd be dumped. I know I would. It's now time for Ask the Hilo. Dolly, do you want to read out our listener question from this week?
1: Dear Dolly and Pandora, I would like to say thank you to the both of you. Thank you because I feel like I've found two new friends in listening to your podcast. I've been known to talk to myself well to you in the street, on the train (laughs) or at home because I felt like I was having a chat with some girlfriends. Yes, I'm slightly bonkers radical change of topic sex I have a problem I have no sex drive and by none I mean I can't remember the last time I wanted sex I've been with my other half for a few years now and I don't seem to want it And we do try, I usually have a freak out and push him off. The thing is, the first year we were together, sex was awesome. One day that was over. I'm terrified to go see the doctor about it. I've not told friends because I don't think this is a normal thing to go through. I love my boyfriend and I know he's not the problem, but what am I supposed to do to move forward? Our relationship is otherwise so good and the sex, or lack thereof, is the only thing missing.
0: Sex, sex, sex It's what makes the world go round. That's Um, useful. (laughs) I'm slightly nervous, in all honesty, i was slightly nervous about saying too much on this because Mm. the last time we spoke to a girl who hadn't ever wanted to have sex with anyone, and I know your situation is slightly different, and I said that asexuality is, you know, something that exists. You didn't just say that.
1: You posed that this could be something.
0: Well, we had a few emails saying that it was wrong of me to suggest that this girl was asexual and it would have freaked her out. And all I was trying to do is cover the many different sexual... Um, positions, not literally, that that people hold. You know, you could be a randy old bugger and like having sex every day. You could be someone that's very content with having sex once a month, every six months. You could be in a sexless marriage, but still very happy. What I would say is that often sex is that indicator, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, Dolly, that um, emotionally there are things that you're not happy with at a deeper level, subconsciously, that you can't see. So people often say that their relationship broke down when they stopped having sex and it then emerged why they'd stopped having sex. They didn't realise at first, they just knew that they weren't motivated that way. As Nora Ephron says, it's the symptom. Well, there you go in there and, and then and then you get to the root of the problem. But of course, I don't want to suggest there's anything wrong with your relationship if you're happy in it. It's It's difficult to know what advice to give specifically beyond if it's making you miserable, then it is something you may want to talk to the doctor about. It is something you may want to talk to your partner about because also kind of sexual impulses can be affected by loads of things.
1: Well, this is what I was going to say. It can
0: be affected by diet. It can be affected mm. by stress. It can be affected by hormones. Are you on the pill? Are you on the coil? Are you on medication? There's Are lots, you depressed? Oh, you know. There's lots of things that can be affected by. So if you feel truly content in your relationship, then I would say it's unlikely there's something at a subconscious I agree. level. And if you were having great sex at the beginning, it's unlikely you're asexual.
1: So I if you eliminate, probably, yeah, yeah. eliminate various things, and you've Can answered exactly how I would answer. I think that it's probably a relationship with yourself. It might be the, it's anxiety. It might be stress from work. It might be a relationship with your own body. It might be the pill. I have to say, when I first met an ex-boyfriend, I wasn't on the pill. And then about six months in, I went on the pill, and he said it was like going out with a different woman. Literally, microgynin just stole him from me. And I just cried all the time. I didn't want to have sex. I didn't want to be anywhere near him. I was really sad. So I do think that has a real impact. It could be the birth control that you're on. It could be that you're sad. It could be that there's some stuff that you're maybe not addressing and that means you just feel a bit disconnected from your body or you don't, you know, that you've got other things you're thinking about. You you don't say, does she say how long it's been? A few years, I think she said. A few
0: years. Okay, well, I would say a few years is long enough for you to investigate this properly like you would any other
1: Issue. Yeah, and also I would be wary of the fact that you said that you haven't spoken to any of your friends about it. There's this culture that I think we have as young women that we all think we're having much more sex than we think we are. And I remember something happened in my friendships around my mid twenties where we stopped going. Oh hi mate, yeah, got cystitis. Oh yeah, had a shagathon last night for ten hours. Cool voice, darling. And then <laughs> then we started saying, oh no, me and my partner haven't had the time for however long it is long, an
0: age thing though because it or, happens with boys as well like my my husband does not talk about like his sex life with his friends i no, know they is, don't i the think it's because most of
1: them are married but also this is the great myth that i think i men think it's are weird talking to about realize. your sex life with your like when yeah. you're younger and single but like with your with your wife yeah but also women talk about the details of sex men don't i've realized this more and more anyway going on topic. <laughs> dave shaking his head you, that's true. No, isn't he's it? agreeing with you. Yeah. He's agreeing with you. I think when men realise that, they really freak so out. So to wrap to wrap this up, what would be your? I would talk to your friends about it, and I think you'd be surprised how many of them will probably have stories about their relationships that will help you out. Don't feel ashamed of it. It's completely normal. Relationships are they're like a living organism, and they grow and move in different there ways. There is no normal relationship. There's, as no, well. normal. there's, there's no, no normal. There's no. There's no normal. But, full stop. But I would like for you to be having sex with the person that you're in love with so I'm sure that, especially if you wish you were yeah so I think maybe start with the doctor and go start from there start with the doctor go from there because it might be something as we said chemical or hormonal people have gone to the doctor for weirder and worse things do not feel that. embarrassed about this Every person I know has experienced this at one point, so don't worry. Thank
0: you very much to everyone who wrote to us. If you would like to write into The Hilo, you can email us show at gmail.com or you can tweet us at thehiloshow. Thank you to everyone who listened to episode 25. Thank you to Acast for letting us use your studio. Thank you to Lauren Benstead for our funky jingle. Thank you to Dave for stepping in whilst DJ CJ goes gardening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast and it also boosts us as well. Bye-bye. Bye.